Chapter Six, Part Two of The Sorceress of the Strand by L. T. Meade and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Wolf, Part Two. By an arrangement which we both considered specially convenient, Vandeleur and I had rooms each opening into the other, and when I heard my friend tap at my door just before midnight, I felt a sense of relief. I opened it for him, and he entered. Crossing the room, he flung himself into a deep chair and looked up at me. "'You have something to say, Druce. What is it?' I replied briefly, giving him a full account of my interviews, first with Mrs. Bensazen, and then with Madame Sarah. "'You have had all the innings this afternoon,' he said with a smile. "'That cry coming from the kennels is certainly ghastly.' The smile faded from his face. It looked sterner than I had ever seen it before. After a pause, he said gravely, "'This is our worst case. I offer my life willingly at the shrine of this mystery. Things have become intolerable. The end must be at hand. I have resolved to die or conquer in this matter.' As he spoke, we both heard the cry of the wolves ringing out on the stillness of the midnight air. "'I shall examine those cellars to-morrow,' said Vandeleur. "'Good night. I must be alone to think things over.' I did not detain him, and he left me. At breakfast the next morning, Mrs. Bensazen said, "'I am glad to be able to tell you, Mr. Druce, that Taganrog is coming to his senses. I gave him a long lesson last night, and he begins to obey. He will be all right to-morrow night. In a fortnight's time he will be as meek as a lamb. He is, I consider, my greatest triumph. Mr. Vandeleur, I have already shown my pet wolf to Mr. Druce. Would you like to see him?' "'I should,' he answered gently. "'I shall give Taganrog several lessons to-day,' she continued, "'and propose to give him his first almost immediately. "'Will you come with me now or later? "'He is a great beauty. "'Mr. Druce admires him immensely. "'I am proud to feel that I am his conqueror. "'Although he will always be ferocious to the rest of the world, "'he will soon be amenable to my least word or look.' "'Neither of us made any reply, "'and Rigby, who was present, rose, "'gave Mrs. Bensazen a peculiar glance.' and left the room. I noticed for the first time that with all her fearlessness she seemed to make an exception in his favor. When her eyes met his, she did not look altogether at her ease. Fearless and strong as was her nature, was it possible that she was in this man's power? "'Have you told Mr. Vandeleur about that peculiar cry which we both heard yesterday?' continued Mrs. Bensazen, turning to me. "'It frightened you, did it not?' "'It certainly did,' I replied. "'Knowing so little about wild beasts as you do, I am not surprised at that,' was her answer. "'It is, I assure you, quite a common error to mistake the cry of a brute for that of a human being. For brutes have many tones in their voices, and the wolf, in particular, has a long gamut of sound in his larynx. Be that as it may, however, I should like you both to be satisfied. Under my kennels are three old disused cellars. Would you not like to go and search them? You will then know for yourselves—' whether there is any poor creature incarcerated there or not. Vandeleur rose to his feet. "'I take you at your word, Mrs. Bensazen,' he said. "'I should like to examine the cellars. Will you come with me, Druce, or shall I go alone?' "'I will go with you,' I replied. "'I am going down now to have the wolves locked into their kennels,' said Mrs. Bensazen. "'Will you follow me in about ten minutes' time?' We did so. There were no keepers present, but Mrs. Bensazen stood within the enclosure of Taganrog's kennel, with a smile on her face and the cruel whip in her hand. 
she unlocked the iron gates and invited us to enter. To my surprise I noticed that a great flagstone was raised within a couple of feet from the entrance to the enclosure, and we saw a well-like opening in the ground. "'Here is the lantern,' said Mrs. Bensazen, handing one to Vandeleur. "'I will wait here until you return.' We went down at once in silence. We were both absolutely aware of the danger we ran. It would be easy for Mrs. Bensazen to drop the flagstone over us and to incarcerate us within to starve out our lives. Nevertheless, I do not think we feared. The air struck damp and chill about us. We heard the cries of the imprisoned wolves over our heads. There were three cellars, each opening into the other, but search as we would, we could not see the smallest sign of any human being. Vandeleur stayed some time in the second cellar, examining it most minutely, feeling the walls, and stamping his feet on the ground in order to detect any hollow spot. At last he turned to me and said slowly, "'Whoever cried that time yesterday has been removed. There is no use in our staying any longer.' We retraced our steps and soon found ourselves in the open air. Mrs. Bensazen's eyes were shining with intense excitement. There was a small, angry red spot on the centre of each cheek. "'Well, gentlemen,' she said, "'I hope you are satisfied.' "'Absolutely,' replied Vandeleur. She opened the gate for us, and we passed through. A minute later the excited cry of the released pack broke on our ears. "'Will you walk with me to the railway station?' asked Vandeleur. "'What?' I cried, in some amazement. "'Are you going to town?' "'Yes, for a few hours. I have an idea in my mind. I am haunted by a memory. It goes back a good way, too. I want to have it confirmed. It may bear on this case.' If it does, I may be able to release Miss Laura, for that she is detained in most undesirable captivity, I have not the slightest doubt. What about the robberies? I asked. Is there anything of the sort going on? As far as I can tell, nothing. We must hurry, Druce, if I am to catch my train. I saw him off, and slowly returned to the house. On my way back I met Gerald Hilliers. He was waiting to see me, and began to talk at once on the subject nearest to his heart. Taganrog will be in control by tomorrow night, he said. The exhibition is to take place by electric light, and Mrs. Bensazen is having a small platform raised for us to stand on while she exhibits. She is anxious to accustom the wolves to the flare and light which must be present when she holds her public exhibitions. By the way, he added suddenly, I saw Madame Sarah this morning, and she told me that she has given you her confidence. She promised to help me, but on an impossible condition." My father will never part with Orion, except for a fabulous price. The diamond is watched day and night by two men, and the safe in which it is secured is practically impregnable. There is no help whatever in that direction. "'Have you told Madame Sarah yet about your father's view of the matter?' I asked. "'Yes.' "'And what did she say?' "'She smiled.' "'Then, Hilliers, I counsel you to beware. I like Madame least of all when she smiles.' Vandeleur returned rather late that evening. He informed me briefly that he was satisfied with his investigations, and that it was his intention to force Mrs. Bensazen's hand, by means known only to himself, if she did not soon reveal her daughter's whereabouts. The next day was Wednesday. That night we were to see Mrs. Bensazen in the hour of her triumph. I awoke with an overpowering sense of restlessness and depression. Vandeleur was seen talking earnestly with Mrs. Bensazen, soon after breakfast. Their conversation was evidently of an amicable kind, for when it was over she nodded to him, smiled, 
and hurried off in the direction of the kennels. Vandeleur then, with long strides, disappeared up the avenue. I wondered what he was doing and what was the matter. I wanted his confidence, but did not care to press for it. Shortly before lunch, as I was walking on the borders of the pine wood, I was amazed to see Madame Sarah drive up in a dog-cart. She saw me, pulled in the mare which she was driving herself, flung the reins to the groom, and alighted with her usual agility. "'Ah!' she called out. "'I am glad to see you. You wonder where I have been.' I made no reply. "'Confess to your curiosity,' she continued. "'This is an extraordinary day, and my nerves are in a strange state. Much, everything, hangs on the issues of to-night. Mr. Druce, I want to confide in you.' "'Don't!' I could not help exclaiming. "'You must listen. This is what has happened. When friends fall out—' "'Ah, you know the old proverb. Well, friends have fallen out. For Mrs. Bensazen and I have quarrelled. Oh, my friend, such a quarrel! A point was to be solved. Julia Bensazen wished the solution to take one form, while I was just as resolved that it should take another. She is a powerful woman, both physically and mentally, but she is destitute of tact. She has no reserve of genius in her nature. Now I—she drew herself up—I am Madame Sarah— known to the world for very remarkable abilities. In this conflict I shall win. "'Explain, will you?' I said. "'Ah, you are curious at last. Mr. Druce, it is a very remarkable fact that you and your friend should have been fighting so hard against me for so many months, and in the end be altogether on my side.' "'What do you mean?' "'Need you ask?' she replied. "'Are not your wishes and mine identical? We want to make a girl happy.' We have resolved to give her to the man who loves her, and whom she loves. Need I say more? Madam Sarah, I said, you do nothing, without a price. Have you a chance of receiving the diamond? I have a passion, she said slowly, for things unique, strange, and priceless. I go far to seek them, still farther to obtain them. Neither life nor death stands in my way. Yes, the stone is mine. Impossible! It is true. I went to town this morning. I saw old Mr. Hilliard's. He gave me the diamond. I keep it on a condition. I was speechless from amazement. She looked at me, then said slowly, I find the lost girl and give her to Gerald Hilliard's. But why has his father changed his mind? Gerald told me only yesterday how callous he was with regard to the whole matter. Ah, he is callous no longer. He and I have both a desire." I for unique treasures, and he for unlimited wealth. The love of gold is his passion. I have informed him with regard to some things in connection with Mrs. Bensazen. She is one of the richest women in England. Laura is her only child and heiress. I have done something else for him. What is that? Imparted to him a secret by which he can, in measure, recover his lost youth. To offer a man both youth and riches— presents a temptation impossible for the ordinary man to resist. Mr. Hilliers is quite ordinary. He struggled, but in the end succumbed. I knew he would. Her eyes sparkled. "'Will you tell me one thing?' I said. "'Why does Mrs. Bensazen want her daughter to marry Joseph Rigby? Is he so rich and so desirable?' She came a step nearer. "'Your friend, Mr. Vandeleur, is on the track of that secret,' she said. "'I could tell him now.' but I delay just for a time. As you know so much, you may as well know this. Rigby is greater and more powerful than the richest man 
or the most beautiful, or the greatest on earth. He holds a secret. It is connected with Mrs. Bensazen. Laura is the price of his silence. Ah! Have I been overheard? She sprang away from me. There was a rustle in the bushes nearby. I rushed up to them and tore them asunder. No one was to be seen, but Madame Sarah's face had changed. It was full of a curious, most ghastly fear. I have been imprudent, she said in a low voice, and for the first time in my life. Is it possible that success has turned my brain? She did not wait to give me another glance, but hurried to the house. We dined early that night, as Mrs. Bensazen's exhibition was to take place at eight o'clock. The dinner was gay, the conversation bright, repartee and wit sparkled like champagne. On the face of Mrs. Bensazen, however, there was a fierce, cruel look, which was so dominant that, with all her efforts to appear friendly, sociable, in fact the perfect hostess, she utterly failed. Once her eyes fixed themselves on Madame Sarah's beautiful and charming face, and the expression in their agate depths was far from good to see. The dinner came to an end. It was too soon to go to the kennels. "'There is still time enough,' remarked Mrs. Bensazen, addressing Madame Sarah. "'Follow me in five minutes. You and I have our work to do first. When we are quite ready for the curtain to rise, and the show to begin, my keeper, Keppel, shall announce the fact to the gentleman.' Mrs. Bensazen went slowly from the room. I had never before been so impressed. Madame Sarah, beside her hostess, looked young, slender, almost childish. "'That woman is the greatest of her age,' said Madame. "'How great only I, who have known her for years, can imagine. Mr. Rigby and I both know Mrs. Bensazen well, don't we, sir?' We, none of us, spoke, and she went slowly towards the door. Just as she reached it she turned and faced us. "'I have provided against possible mischief,' she said. She thrust her hand into the bosom of her dress, and drew out a small revolver. Minute as it was, I knew the sort, and was well aware that it could be used with deadly effect. With a gentle and sweet smile, she returned it to its place. Then, taking up a cloak which lay on a chair near, she flung it over her evening dress, and disappeared into the night. Four of us were now left in the hall—Rigby, Hilliers, Vandeleur, and myself. "'We shall be summoned in a minute,' said Vandeleur. "'This is a state of tension quite unpleasant in its strain.' He walked to the house door and threw it open. He had scarcely done so, before the sharp crack of a shot sounded from the pine wood below the house. It was followed instantly by another. Fearing we knew not what, we all rushed from the hall and flew down the path through the pine wood. The bright electric light guided us. The howl of many wolves smote savagely on our ears.' In a very short time we had reached the little platform which had been erected in front of the huge cage where Mrs. Bensasen had arranged to give her exhibition. The cage was there, but to my surprise there was no keeper in sight. We instantly crowded on the platform, and saw Mrs. Bensasen standing upright in the middle of the cage. She had the stock-whip in her hand. A woman lay prostrate at her feet. The woman's fair hair streamed along the floor of the cage. Her cloak was torn aside. There was a large and ghastly wound in her throat. Blood covered the floor. At a little distance lay Taganrog, shot through the head and motionless. When she saw us approach, Mrs. Bensazen turned. Her face was quite calm and her manner quiet. She looked down at the figure of the fallen woman. "'Madame Sarah, the great Madame Sarah, is dead,' she said with slow distinctness. She ventured into the cage. It was imprudent.' I implored her not to come, but she would not heed. 
Her death is due to Taganrog. He feared me, but the sight of her maddened him. He sprang at her and tore her throat. It was but the work of a second. See, I have shot him. But Madame had also a revolver, and just in the moment of, of, ah, heavens, ah! She tottered. Over her face there came an awful expression, and the next instant she also was lying on the floor of the cage. Long quivers passed over her frame. She was evidently in mortal agony. We all rushed forward, burst open the door of the cage, and entered. Vandeleur went on his knees and bent over the prostrate woman. "'I die,' she said. "'I have only a few minutes to live. Listen!' She tried to press her hand to her side. A great spurt of blood poured from her lips. "'I am shot through the lungs,' she said. "'Hers was the surest aim in the world. You may know all now. Madame Sarah and I arranged this exhibition, and you, Mr. Vandeleur, were to be the victim.' Madame got you both down here on purpose. It was she who thought the thing out. We did not believe we could manage the death of you both, but one at least seemed certain. Your methods were more deadly than those of Mr. Druce, therefore you were appointed to be the victim. But when the wicked quarrel, ah, you see for yourselves the result. You shall know all now. Joseph Rigby, yes, he is there. But it doesn't matter. He knew a story about me. Madame also knew but he had the evidence and she had not. He could hang me. It happened years ago. I poisoned my husband. I know, said Vandeleur. I found the particulars yesterday in the books at Westminster. I meant to speak to you tomorrow, but no matter. Bah, she said. Nothing matters now. I hated that feeble man. I poisoned him with arsenic. Rigby knew, and from that day he blackmailed me heavily. Six months ago, he set his heart on securing my pretty, gentle Laura. Laura, with her money, was to be his price. I did not dare to give her to another. I was determined that she should marry him. I would make her submit. One night Madame and I took her away in a cab. This was to blind the neighbors. Towards morning we brought her back and put her into the cellars below the kennels. When you, Mr. Vandeleur, examined them, you knew nothing of a small dungeon below the second cellar. Laura was put there. She is gagged in the dungeon now. You will find the spot by a jagged cross scratched over the stone above. She is uninjured. She inherits my money. When I die, Rigby will be powerless. You can give her to the other man. Vandeleur placed his hand under her shoulders and slightly raised her head. Madam shot me through the lungs, she continued. My life is only a matter of minutes. I go to my death unabsolved and unafraid. Madame, at least, is dead. She was cleverer than I, and more subtle. Ah, there was never a brain like hers. She arranged to help me. Rigby should obtain Laura, and you, Mr. Vandeleur, should die. All was going well, but avarice got the better of her. For the sake of a stone, a bauble, she gave me up, and I could not brook that. I resolved that the means which were meant to compass your death should compass hers, Revenge became the strongest motive of my life. My intention was, had all succeeded, to lay the blame on Taganrog. It would have been natural, would it not, to suppose that the wolf— But look! Her eyes sought the floor, and Vandeleur, bending down, picked up two great sets of steel teeth, fashioned somewhat after the teeth of a wolf. They jangled horribly as he shook them in his hand. The dying eyes gleamed. She made them— 
whispered the exhausted voice, she made them for me to use, in order to take you by surprise, to spring on you, and tear your throat out. An excuse was to be made, which was to bring you first on the scene to-night. The keepers were to be dismissed beforehand. All the world would suppose that it was an accident, and that the wolf had destroyed you. She and I would have known better. I guessed her treachery, and followed her to-day, and heard what she said to Mr. Druce. Instantly I changed my tactics. You should live, but she should die. I sent for her first on purpose. She must have scented my change of front, for she had her revolver. The wolf killed her. I had no need to use those hideous teeth. But before she died she raised that toy instrument and inflicted my death wound. It was I who shot the wolf. Her voice faded away into silence. The dimness of death covered her awful, too bright eyes. A minute or two later she breathed her last. We rescued Laura Bensason from her terrible prison. We took from that den a distracted and nearly mad girl. We brought her back to the house, and did all that ingenuity and kindness could suggest for her benefit. But one look at Hilliard's was better for her than all our sympathy. She flew to him. He took her in his arms. He loved her, and she loved him. There was no longer any bar to their happiness and future union. End of chapter 6 End of the Sorceress of the Strand